0: Well, Psalm chapter one this morning, and I'd like to read that Psalm. I don't always do that, but more of a, a exegetical expository message this morning. So I wanted to read through these uh, six verses in Psalm. I um, personally believe that um, because the Psalm has been very instrumental in my life, and in my, my growth, and uh, shaking me into uh, spiritual reality once again, that this psalm should be one of those, or this uh, these verses should be those that are on your memory list, right? They are probably like top ten, for sure, on your memory list. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his de-law is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm chapter one, or Psalm one rather, discusses for us a passageway to the entire book. What it does is it gives us an uh, entrance, or it bears entrance, to this entire worshipful book that, uh, by the way, whether you knew it or not, you were singing about this morning. And we'll touch on that in just a bit, but Psalm uh, is a book of songs and a book of worship, and it starts out talking in Psalm chapter 1 about two men, two ways, and two destinies. It's an entrance to the entire book. It compares and contrasts the righteous, which are also known as the godly or capture this word this morning, blessed. The message title this morning is how to be happy and blessed. Psalm one is a psalm that captures and contrasts the righteous, the godly and the blessed with the ungodly, the wicked and the lost. As we think about, um, as we think about, um, this contrast this morning, in the middle of your notes, if you have your notes, open them up and look at that chart in the middle of your message notes. There should be a visual that will pop up that shows you what you're looking for. It's a chart that contrasts the righteous and the ungodly. We're going to spend a considerable amount of time there this morning, but I just want you to know it's there and uh, we're going to pop back and forth to that chart Every once in a while, by way of uh, introduction to the Book of Psalms, a passageway to this book. There's also a connection to Proverbs and to wisdom literature as we look at these two men in two ways and two destinies. The Book of Proverbs, whether you knew it or not, that three fifty-six uh, approach that you're taking uh, uses what we call biblically or theologically couplets. And those couplets are two-sided phrases or statements. Typically, one might be very positive, and one might be very negative. Consider with me Proverbs eight, uh, eight thirty-five, and thirty-six. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. That's Proverbs eight thirty-five. Positive or negative, class? Positive, right? Listen to it again, in case you're sleepy on this hot Sunday morning. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Favor is a good thing, isn't it? Positive, right? I need that verse. I love that verse. That's the first part of a couplet that is familiar both in the Psalms and in the Proverbs in these wisdom literature books. But consider the other side, verse 36 of Proverbs chapter 8. But those who don't consider my wisdom, right, it ends with they must love death. Positive or negative. Right? Right? In other words, whoever blows off my wisdom, whoever blows off my word, whoever blows me off, I got some negative news for them this morning. They must love death. Does that shake you to the core as it shakes me? That's Psalms and Proverbs. That's that wisdom literature. And we're looking at Psalm 1 this morning and I can't sugarcoat it. I can't water it down because this couplet in Psalm 1 is clear as could be. Now, this is kind of scary. It's kind of negative. So, let me talk a little bit about worshiping the Lord in Psalm chapter one. Psalm one calls me to worship the Lord. You can um, look at your message notes, and you might write us in there, right? But I want you to personalize it. Psalm one calls me to worship the Lord. It calls me to worship the Lord through a deliberate and constant action. Of walking with, delighting in, and meditating on God. Let me say it again. It calls us to worship the Lord through a deliberate and constant action of walking with, delighting in, and meditating on God. (laughs) Whether you know it or not, you uh, took the first step this morning as you were roused from your sleep. You got up and you wiped the sleep out of your eyes. You put clothes on, maybe a little fuel in your belly. And you made your way off where? It's the First Baptist Church of Mount Pleasant, Michigan. You took the first step. Congratulations. You're here. You're involved. It means that there was some deliberateness, some intentness to the way that you were going to at least begin your Sunday. And I hope that continues. I hope that continues through your walking with, your delighting in, and your meditating on God. We read... Those parts of Psalm 1 already, and we're going to have more to say about that in a little bit. Psalms served as a hymn book for the early church. Here's how Psalms is kind of framed or formatted. Psalm 1 gives us the creative picture. In fact, some think that Psalm 1, I don't really believe that this is true, but some say that Psalm 1 is a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could ever me- measure up. To this blessed man, to the blessed man characteristics. I kind of see that. All right, I kind of understand how those can uh, that that study these things could think that way. I don't. I think there's more to it than just that. But Psalm one does give us this creative picture. Last week I told you we were going to study Psalm one and two until I started formatting my message for today, and I realized we were never going to get to Psalm two. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 2. Psalm 2 tells us a little bit about sin and rebellion. So these two Psalms, 1 and 2, sound a lot like Genesis 1 and 2, don't they? Right? They sound just like what was going on there. In fact, the five books of Psalms, the whole book of Psalms is divided into five different parts, and those five different parts correspond very closely with the first five books of the Old Testament the pentateuch right those first five so the early church the uh the early believers they thought the uh, the nation of Israel they thought of uh psalms this book of songs in relationship to these first five books of the pentateuch not only do we have an outline for worship that I already talked about walking with delighting in and meditating on God but this morning I want to submit to you that there's a great outline in the first psalm of as a blessing or a road to blessing and happiness. The message title this morning, How to Be Happy and Blessed. Here's what it is, and this is what I would like you to do, since you already discovered the inside of your message notes. I want you to write these words that I give you for these various verses uh, in your outline format, and then I want you to go to the inside and write the same words, and you'll you'll see it will make sense to you. Psalm uh, Psalm one, verse one, tells us that we are to separate from the wicked world. We read about it this morning already. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We understand that there's a call for us to separate from the wicked world. Write those in your notes on that front cover, and then write it on the inside as well. Verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 1 call us to be devoted to God's Word. To be devoted. And we're going to look and understand this morning what it means to be devoted to God's Word. Verses 4 and 5, and the chart really helps with this, call us to understand the differences. The differences between the blessed, righteous, godly man and the ungodly or wicked man that are out there. And it's not just some differences so we can feel good, because when I look at this contrast chart of the righteous and the wicked, my heart grieves. My life grieves for those that I spend time with, and play with, and talk with, and associate with, and work with. Remember the top three or four or five or ten people that you wrote down under our heaven message? my heart thinks of those people that are on the wrong side of the equation. And verse 6 is that word worship. Worship the Lord and be righteous. You could also use the phrase there, trust in the Lord and be righteous. But I like I like um, uh, the worship thought this morning. And I, I appreciated the quotes from our worship team. This morning as well. You got them written on the front front part of your notes? And on the inside, we're going to take a look at that in just uh, just a moment together. This morning, I'd also like to throw some biblical words at you, some vocabulary, as you understand Psalm chapter 1 together. The first word, of course, is that word blessed or blessed. How many of you have heard that this word means happy, right? You've heard that before, and that's true. It absolutely does mean happy, but that that definition is a bit incomplete. What we're looking for is the reason for that happiness, the reason for the righteous man being happy, or happy because. Let me explain it this way. How many of you have given something to one of your children, teens included, that are here this morning, and they're overjoyed? It's the best thing in the world for how many minutes? (laughs) Three to five, right? Right. We live in a world like that, and and children and teens understand that. I'm snitching on myself, too, because our adults, unfortunately, me included, are sometimes very much the same way. Our happiness goes away because our happiness is related to the wrong thing. And in Psalms chapter 1, our happiness is related... To some very specific, definite things. Psalm 1 gets after it, and it gets uh, after us. Let's read uh, those first few verses again in Psalm chapter 1, uh, as we, uh, as we think about the Psalm. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his the law Is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Do you remember me telling you a couple weeks ago about Frank and Eva Blevins? That couple that taught me the printing trade that I'm uh, working in uh, again today as we wait on God's next, uh, next uh, test and, and uh, assignment for our life. Uh, Frank and, and Eva, as they taught me that I was supposed to be an ambassador to Christ, they gave me something that was invaluable because all the time that I was out there seeking after the wrong things and following the wrong people and not feeling blessed, not feeling happy, if you will, it was a fallacy, it was a fleeting thing because I was never going to find that happiness until I went back to what Frank and Eva rightly were trying to tell me and oppress upon me in my younger days. I was looking for happiness all over the place, but it was shallow. It lasted three to five minutes, right? And then I looked for my next little fix. I looked for my next little thing. But we're learning in Psalm 1 that it has to do with some very, very separate and devoted principles. Separate from the wicked world and being devoted to God's Word. Those two parts that I was failing in both ways because I refused to separate myself from the wicked world that was around me. I was receiving their counsel. We're going to talk about what all that means in just a bit, but I wasn't devoting myself to the right things either. Oh yeah, I would go in the gym at school every day and I would shoot my 300 free throws during study hall, by the way. all right, that, That's a whole nother story. why I didn't pass Spanish and why I struggled in math. But I was good at free throws. And basketball was my little god. And I won't say little G-god. It was my big G-god, more than the god of God's word, the god of my salvation was. But all those things were fleeting because there were a day when that was over and there were days where it didn't go very well. And because of my misbehavior, I was literally kicked off the basketball team the beginning of my senior year. The way I tell this story is I went from the chosen 12, I went to one of the largest high schools in Illinois, and I went from the chosen 12, one of the 12 varsity players in my school, the penthouse, if you will. What's the opposite of the penthouse? The outhouse. All right? I went from the penthouse to the outhouse just that quick. And the reason why is because I refused to be a happy man, a blessed man, God's way. I refuse to separate and I refuse to be devoted to God's word. That person that is separated and devoted to God's word, they do not walk and stand and sit like others do. I told you that there's two men, two ways and two destinies. But um, I was going the wrong direction in all of those, in the New Testament, it tells us that the happy man follows these principles that are also known as the Beatitudes. You've heard of them before, right? Those uh, attitudes that believers have. This blessed man, this this man that's happy, uh, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the uh, path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. I got tired of that as a teenager. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to have these attitudes of the believer. Righteousness, hunger for righteousness' sake. I'm supposed to seek after God, have a spirit of meekness. But I didn't know anything about those things because I was devoting myself to the wrong direction, not the direction that brought blessed happiness and peace but a uh, direction that was a uh, uh, flip side of that. As a deeper study, I found this just this week, as a deeper study to the life of blessing, Psalms gives us, the book of Psalms itself, gives us these things. If you want to be happy and blessed, do not associate with the ungodly, trust in the Lord, confess and receive God's forgiveness for sin. That one alone was missing in my life as a teenager. I was never going to find God's blessing in my life until I confessed my sin and received His forgiveness. Those who are blessed live in a nation that worships the Lord are descendants of the righteous, are part of a righteous family. Those that want to receive blessing from the Lord are generous to the poor. They are not just takers, but they're givers in life. Psalm 41, verses 1 and 2. They dwell in God's house. I already mentioned, they get up and they put their clothes on. But God's house is not just here, is it? It's wherever God takes our feet in that day. They're part of God's kingdom. They find their strength in the Lord. They're chastened by the Lord when need be. And I refused To be chastened by the Lord, although I knew it was going on, right? I refused to admit to it. They maintain justice and live righteously. They fear and respect the Lord, and they decide to keep themselves undefiled, and but keep God's law instead. Those are some Psalm markers for what it means to be a blessed man. As we continue this morning. More vocabulary from Psalm 1. It says that the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful. To walk in the counsel of of the ungodly or the transgressor means to behave or be escorted away to go along with to have relations That's all I'll say. That way I'll soften the word, but you can figure it out with those on the wrong side. Stand means stand in the path of sinners. To maintain an intentional and motionless position. I stood with sinners around me during the first part of my, or the latter part of my high school years. I forgot what Frank and Eva had taught me. By the way, 356 people, I didn't forget what God's Word taught me. I knew it all the time. I just refused to abide in the vine and abide by it. So I remained intentionally, on an intentionally motionless path. I wasn't moving forward, you get it? I wasn't growing. I wasn't growing forward, I wasn't growing up. I wasn't growing in Christ-likeness. I was on an intentionally motionless path. And then uh, sit in the seat of the scornful, the scoffer, we're going to to talk about that in a minute. There's a place in your message notes this morning for you to to look at that and, and fill in what that means. But let me talk about the ungodly first of all as uh, one of your vocabulary words this morning. Ungodly is a, a very distinct word from the word sinner, but yet they are interconnected in some ways. I believe it's healthy, church, to understand and remember that we are all sinners saved by grace. That at any moment that we can sin, and when we sin, 1 John one nine tells us that we do what? We confess our sins, and he forgives us our sins, and he cleanses us the way he wanted us to be from the very beginning, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. On the other hand, it's never healthy for us to live like the ungodly. You get it? You get the difference? It's never healthy for us to live like the, a transgressor to live like those who don't care, and I'm getting close now to talking about the word "scorner" or "scornful," it is a very distinct word. As you look at your chart in the, the middle of your uh, your message notes this morning, let me uh, let me show you uh, some of that those ungodly differences. The righteous, the godly, the blessed—they don't follow wicked advice or counsel. But the ungodly, the wicked, they walk in the arena of the ungodly. Any of you maybe confused on what that might mean? Huh. I'm crystal clear on what that means at 57 years of age. And I'll tell you this, honestly, I was crystal clear as a teenager as well. Right? I just decided that I was going to walk in the arena of the ungodly. Don't stand around with sinners. The wicked choose to stand, I phrase it this way, to hang around with a sinning crowd. That was my choice. Don't join with the scorner or the scoffer. Don't sit with them, but the ungodly, they sit. They participate or approve of those who scorn. If you don't say anything negative to the scoffer about their scorning activity... They're going to continue scoffing and they're going to assume that you think it's what? Okay. That you think it's it's all right. And we should beware of if we fall in that category. Obviously, we all sin at times. But if you find yourself walking or standing or sitting with the wicked, with the ungodly, you got big problems this morning. Verses 4 to 6, we've already read them, but I'm going to reread them again this morning. Tell us a little bit more about the ungodly. Clue us in a little bit more to who they are and what their ultimate end is going to be. The ungodly are not so. They don't do these positive things that we've talked about in the message this morning. But they are like the wind which the chaff drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The ungodly are those who are scornful. I've talked about that briefly already, but let me give you the fill-in for your vocabulary word this morning. A scorner, a scoffful person makes a dwelling place, Takes up habitation and residence, marries oneself to, in defiance to God's commands and ways. Wow, if that was on, or is on your personal resume, we need to get it off, don't we? We need to get rid of it this morning. To make a dwelling place, take up habitation and residence, marry oneself to, in defiance of God's command and ways. It's the arrogant, jeering, and derision and rebellion against God and godly things. Let me give you a picture. I can give you a ton of them from life experience, but um, well over a year ago now, one of the uh, our father of one of my soccer girls committed suicide. One of those that you hear about, entitled "Death by Cop," right? Intentionally brought his life to an end uh, through a horrific chase he was he was intoxicated he was high and he left behind my soccer player little haley and her younger brother and her older brother as well as the hardest funeral i've ever done right our entire soccer team was there i was thankful for the opportunity to bear witness of jesus christ and the hope of Christ in a very, very difficult moment. But a couple of my soccer girls were scornful. They were scoffing. At the moment that I went to offer a prayer of comfort for family and friends, and it was a big funeral. At the moment I went to offer a prayer, these two were snickering, and they were jeering. And if I had a shepherd's crook right then, oh, the anger inside of me. I had to say a very quickie prayer. <laughs> God, you handle this. Right? Because if I would have handled it, it would have all come out wrong. You with me in the picture? Got the mental picture in mind? Oh, wow. They were the scoffer. And to make it worse, I already knew that. Right? But in, in an incredibly sensitive and sad situation of a man who most likely went to a Christless eternity, right? They were jeering and scoffing at what I was doing. At that moment I wasn't their coach. I desired to be their pastor. That was my calling in life. So I had to go home that night and I had to ask God to help me to deal with that so I didn't make them like run extra miles in the practices like every day that week because I was so upset. But God helped me because that's what the ungodly does. True? Right? That's what they do. I mean, that's who they are. Don't expect that there'd be anything different. I think that Illustration should probably stick with you pretty well. Negatively, here's how it works. First of all, on a flow, we consider ungodly advice. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And within that flow, as we listen to ungodly counsel, then we follow the ways of sinners. And then ultimately, where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves adopting the attitudes of, Of the scornful or the scoffer. Christian, if that's you. Teenager, if you're sitting here this morning and that's you, we've got to change this behavior because it's not becoming of the Christ that you say that you've committed yourself to. If you name yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, we must live differently. The contrast of the righteous and the ungodly in the church I've given you is pretty clear. Well, let me go forward this morning. Here's some real positive stuff for you. Once again, after the negative, Psalm 1 tends to bounce back and forth that way. But they who follow Him, they who are blessed, delight in God's Word and they meditate on it day and night. They meditate on it continually. The word delight. Delight means to fall in love with, to have pleasure with, to find extreme pleasure in and consider precious the entirety of the Word of God and get this, the character of God. So in our worship songs, what do we sing about? We sing about God's Word and Paul, we sing about God's character, don't we? God's Word and God's character, and we use those words to come alive within our spirit and in our being that we may delight in the Lord. We have a problem if we have people on the worship team that don't delight in the Lord. And I don't believe that's the truth. I don't believe that's true here. I see their faces, and I see their joy, and I hear their commitment to this thing called worship. They delight in God's Word. They consider His Word precious as it is stated here in psalm chapter one it speaks of the law of the lord but it's more than that for us new testament believers today because we have the entirety of god's word we have all that god has given us to talk about himself and his character it's all been revealed we have complete revelation are you passionate about god About his character and his word? Do you delight in it? Here's some questions. Do you read it? Do you study it? Don't expect the 356 kids right, to do it. If you're not passionate about it, how about hearing it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you right now want want the pastor's message to be done? Right? Because you're thinking about the restaurant or the ball game or whatever. I got news for you. It's all going to go on without you or I. Right? It's all going to happen that way. Are you passionate about God's Word and about God's character? Reading it, studying it, hearing it, thinking about it, and obeying it. Psalm 112 verses 1 and 2 says, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights In His commandments. What a great companion passage right there in the book of the Psalms. Again, how blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. Psalm 112 verses 1 and 2. But for me, and perhaps for some of you, for many years, that's been elusive for you. It doesn't need to be. Delight in God's Word. By implication, either because they don't care, or they're not passionate about God's Word. The ungodly, the wicked, find themselves on the wrong side of the equation. The righteous are like firmly planted, well-watered, and fruitful trees. They're like that because they delight in God's Word. And they meditate it how often? Day and night. Continually. They're spending time in it. Let me talk a little bit about meditation. Meditation means that God's Word and God's character has claimed our full attention and our full affection. Now this is an indictment, and God forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, because I've been around a pretty long time as a Christian and a pastor. But I believe that today's Christian and church gets too busy and easily distracted to meditate. I want you to chew on that a minute. We get too busy and easily distracted to meditate. If I went back the last seven years of my life as I've coached soccer and I've added up all the years I've put into that sport, all the time preparing and thinking about it and game prep and practice and putting things away and going off to buy things and keeping in touch with my players compared to the time that I've delighted in God's Word, I may be fooling myself. You get it? You get the math? Sometimes the math just doesn't add up in today's church. The wrong values and goals and people and things grab our attention and affection. Eastern religion says the way to peace and the way to happiness is to empty yourself, to have minds and and beings that are content. Less. That's what they call meditation. God's Word calls meditation as something that is content-full. Full of His Word and full of His character that we dwell on constantly. Meditation is to utter, to speak, to audibly recite the Word of God. Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. Say it this way. I'm reading the last part of verse 7. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, and you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's how... Part of my work week went this week. I've worked my tail off cutting paper this week. I got tired, tired, tired. And it was hot. So it made my job even tougher, a tough job even tougher this week. And I went home and I ate a little breakfast and I crashed. And then I woke up several hours later and I started working bit by bit by bit on my message. So I was ready and prepared for you this morning. And I sat in my office and I audibly recited Psalm 1. Right? I spoke it out loud. Day after day after day. Sometimes several times. I meditated. I let myself hear all right, God's Word. I thought deeply about it. Because we often think so deeply about the wrong things. Meditation is to utter, to speak. To audibly recite the Word of, of God. Here's one for you. Maybe uh, those who are involved in charismatic confusion need this one. It, It most literally means to growl, right? To growl isn't that weird, right? Strange. So rather than speaking in tongues, right, that are incomprehensible and have no meaning, we're growling out God's word. We're speaking God's word. We're audibly reciting. God's Word, because God's Word is His truth. It's uh, His revelation of who He is, of His character. Meditating on God's Word. Those who are blessed, they meditate on God's Word continually. They're like firmly planted, well-watered, and fruitful trees. By implication, the ungodly are not so. They're, in actuality, totally, or possibly totally the opposite. And I want to help you here. I don't want you please, to leave church this morning thinking ill about the ungodly because Jesus Christ came in this world to give His life for who? The ungodly. Right? They need Him most. Right? We needed Him most. How many of you remember a day when you were ungodly? Shoot it up. Right? There was that day I was ungodly. I've told you about part of it. But I've sugar-coated it because I don't want you to know about all that. I don't really want you to know that part of my life. Jesus Christ came to die for the ungodly. This is how they are, but just like the average sinner, they're not always necessarily as bad as they could be, right? Thankfully for that. But when we see ungodly actions, and we seem to see them in this information age of the Internet more and more now, We see more ungodliness, we hear about it, we're acquainted with it more and more. It should help us to compare and contrast the righteous, blessed person and the ungodly person. They're planted by a tree of water. I've given you a definition this morning, should be coming up on the screen for you. They have a strong root system. They have a strong root system in the water of the Word and of the Holy Spirit. So they flourish, and they're prosperous, and they're protected. They're blessed. Here's another way of saying it as you're hopefully writing this note down. This person that is firmly planted, well-watered, and fruitful, they're blessed because they're blessed. Does that make sense to you? Or is that too deep on a Sunday morning? You're blessed because God has showered His blessing upon you. Through His Word and His Holy Spirit, He's flourished and prospered you and protected you. What a blessing. What a place to live in life. Blessed because you're blessed. I like the Jeremiah version. I just just found this this week. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. It will be on the screen for you. Listen to this rendering from the prophet. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. Sounds familiar? Sounds very much like Psalm 1 so far? But get this part. It does not fear. I talked about fear last week. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green, it has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. No matter, no doubt, rather, that the prophet Jeremiah was well acquainted with Psalm 1 and the character and the word of God that's represented in it. As we think about the contrast of the righteous and ungodly. I'm not spending a lot of time here because we're need. we later ready and we need to bring this message in for a landing. But the righteous are usable and valuable for God's plan and purposes. They have an eternally secure hope of heaven to look forward to. They're included as part of the congregation of the righteousness. They're called the true church. They're true believers. And they live as one who knows God is known by God and will eternally live in heaven. But the ungodly, those that we work with, play with, talk with, but don't know Him, they're thought of as worthless worthless chaff. They have no lasting, redeeming value. They will one day be condemned and destroyed. They won't stand in the judgment, God's Word says. They'll not be named as one of the righteous or have any claim or hope of the inheritance and promise of heaven and they'll perish in hell because they have no faith relationship. God help us if we don't live as believers, as good examples.